Welcome to our post-USA's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. There is a lot to unpack from what happened in Des Moines last weekend. We had a world record in the 400 hurdles by Dalila Muhammad, an upset world record in that she beat Sydney McLaughlin. We had American records in the men's pole vault and the women's hammer throw. Lopez Lamont is a beast again, and Michael Norman is no longer invincible over 400 meters. There is plenty to dig into. I welcome in... Weldon Johnson and Robert Johnson, the co-founders of Let's Run.com. I'm going to start with a simple question. I'll pose it to you, Weldon, first. What is your race of the week from USA's? Well, that's a little bit unfair, John. I mean, I have to go first. I'll go with a simple answer. World record, 400-meter hurdles, Dalila Muhammad. Obviously, anytime there's a world record, it's an incredible race. deserves attention. But this one was extra special because everyone's been sort of handing the world record for some reason to Sidney McLaughlin for the last year, pretty much, that she would break the world record. And now, world is way more interesting. Everything's way more interesting about this event. Muhammad was the Olympic champion. She's tremendous. And I think all of the Sidney McLaughlin talk motivated her and spurred her to world record. I mean, she powered through to the line. There was no letting up. It was just beautiful. And it's just going to make a rivalry here and draw even more attention to this event that a couple years ago pretty much nobody cared about. So that's my race of the week. Well, Weldon, you say for some reason everyone was thinking Sydney McLaughlin would break the world record. There are very good reasons for that. One, she made the Olympics when she was 16 years old. Two, last year she broke the world under 20 record as a freshman at Kentucky. She ran 52-75. And three, she beat Dalila Muhammad when they raced on the Diamond League earlier this year. So to me, I don't think it was unjustified that people were hyping up Sydney McLaughlin to break the world record this year. That said, I do think people probably underrated Dalila Muhammad, who had run very well this year, who beat Sydney McLaughlin ran in the 52s when she won USA's two years ago. I, I still think it would have been a surprise. It was clearly a surprise, and it was a lovely surprise uh, to see her break the world record on Sunday. I think that's the cool thing about a world record is usually you think you have a pretty good idea of if it's going to go down, who's going to break it and how. And in this one, I don't think anyone expected it. And coming coming off the final turn, it's not like she had this massive lead, you know, but she really, I think the last 200, she really pushed and then really opened things up over the final few hurdles. And I was watching it in the mix zone. Unfortunately, I couldn't see it with my own two eyes in person, but I watched in the mix zone and I'm, she's powering away. I'm like, wow, this is going to be a fast time. Like she's beaten Sydney McLaughlin by a lot. And then the time flashes up on the screen. It was initially like 52.17. Then it was corrected to 52.20. But I was like, yell, I, I yelled out. I was like, that's a world record. It was, it was awesome. So very cool to see. Well, guys, let me jump in here and welcome myself to the podcast, being co-founder of the website, Robert Johnson here. John, I, I love that story. I love the race, first of all. I mean, it was amazing. <sighs> For some reason, I don't know. I just love seeing Sydney McLaughlin get beat. I, I don't know. I feel like she's overhyped. I'm not saying she's not amazing, but like, how many teen phenoms have we seen not live up to the hype? So, Delilah Muhammad, I, to me, is amazing. I mean, she's the Olympic champion. Um, and it's going to be a, a big story. I mean, NBC is trying to prepackage this Allison Felix mom thing, which is sort of inspiring. And, and you know, the, a lot of people are into Allison Felix because she's a brand. But what's going to be a big? This is going to be a huge story at the Worlds in Qatar. A Muslim woman 
as a world record holder. She doesn't compete in the Vale. This is a big story, too. So I, I thought it was a fantastic race. But I also love the story of Jonathan Galt in the basement there, watching it live and recognizing immediately it's a world record, John. It shows you how great of a track and field journalist you are. Few people realize it, but you did. I would expect nothing less of you, John. And that's why it gives me great satisfaction to point out, folks, the winner of the Running Warehouse Prediction Contest within the Let's Run.com staff, none other than yours truly, Robert Johnson. Wire to wire, folks, it's unusual in a major to see someone lead after day one, day two, and keep that all the way through. But wire to wire victory, John, coming in 95 points. I finished up in the top 10% overall in the entire contest. It felt amazing. Yeah, Robert, you know, I've... Uh... I've given you crap for when I've kicked your ass in these contests in the past, so it's only fair that I congratulate you. You beat me fair and square. Uh, you have my respect after this weekend. Well, I don't know if I beat you exactly fair and square. I mean, I read your preview, so I knew who you were picking in the distance races. Once I had that day one lead, I could see who you picked, and I just matched your picks the rest of the way to make sure that we would have the same picks all the way through, and there was no way you could catch me. Oh, wait a minute. Well, okay. I retract my congratulations then. That's actually pretty damn shady. That's not true. I I didn't do that. (laughs) And I do need to fuss up here. Last weekend on this podcast, I made a bold prediction. Well, we'll talk about it later. I I changed my picks. I I doubted myself what I said on air and I should have stuck with it. But uh. it happens. Robert, did you have a, a race of the week outside of the 400 hurdles? Well, I kind of like upsets, and I'm trying to think of it. I mean, so much of the distance stuff just went totally chalk. I mean, the men's 800, women's 800, the steeples were completely predictable. I mean, the, 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 like, what was the surprise in terms of, of the distance races? Lopez Lamont. Oh, yeah. Winning the 5K? I don't think anyone had him beating Paul Chalimo. I guess you guys were all about Craig Ingalls last week, so maybe you wouldn't, should be surprised. But if I wasn't picking the 400-meter hurdles, I'm picking the men's 1500. Craig Ingalls... Very impressive taking down Centrowitz. You know, Centrowitz has got two months to get ready for Worlds, but that was a tremendous race. Maybe you guys weren't surprised, but I was surprised at how well he did it. Well, yeah, the thing about Engels is we knew he was fit. And actually, Centrowitz said after the race, he told me that he thought Craig was a little, he probably should have been a slight favorite in that race because of the times he had been running. He ran fifth at the Bowman Mile and he ran, ran a 144-800 PR coming in. But what really impressed me about Craig Engels was the way he raced this. I mean, he outthought Matthew Sensowitz in this one. He got to the lead with 800 to go and then he just totally controlled the race. Matt Sensowitz tried to take the lead at the bell. Engels fought him off and they essentially closed nearly identical for the final laps. You know, they were both... Uh, 51 high. It was 51.92 for Engels and 51.98 for Centrowitz, and Centrowitz had to run a little extra distance. And really, like, that's kind of what it came down to. Engels just had the inside track the whole way around on the final lap, and that allowed him to beat the great Matthew Centrowitz. So I think Engels, that was my one question, was would he be able to execute tactically? And he did that with uh, flying colors. Yeah, so let's go with that as, as the other race of the week, because that was the race I was talking about. On air last week, John got mad. I was praising Ingalls High School coach, who's a buddy of mine, Chris Catton, and I picked Ingalls to win this race. And then when I got down to doing the prediction contest, I thought the Olympic champion, I looked up the Prefontaine results. He was only like three t- quarters of a second behind him at pre, I think. So I was like, well, he wasn't that far behind. It's been a month later. He's going to win. In the end, guys, they were only four hundredths of a second. Ingles almost celebrated a little bit early there. So um, that that was, you know, an, an exciting race. And then this is one of the few races, I think, where there was a lot of drama as to who would get third. I think most people thought those two would go one, two. 
and, and they did. But the third spot was, was wide open. We had one, two, three, five guys in that field with the world championship standard. Ben Blankenship, Sam Prankle, Isaac York, Henry Wynn, and Johnny Gregorek. And in the end, it, it was Blankenship getting the spot. Um, and I picked him to get third. He ended up getting fourth. So I was, I was proud of that because my, my thought process there was like, look, this was the guy that was the top American at pre until the last 100. He was really running a good race. If tactically he, he just goes a little bit more conservatively, he's going to do it, get the job done. And he did. And, um, you know, the Brooks Beast guys were up there and sort of faded at the end. They went for it. And then Johnny Gregoric, we're talking about tactics, guys. I was not a fan of his tactics. I've got a piece up on the website right now where I break it down. Made really a lot of mistakes. I, I say in 800, you've got one move. Use it wisely. 1500, maybe you've got two moves. He made two big moves to get to the front before the bell. So he had nothing left in the final 300. Well, can we talk about the guy who did get third for a second? He doesn't have the standard, so he's not going to Worlds because for some reason USATF isn't allowing athletes to chase the standard this year but that's josh thompson of the bowman track club this uh, that this might be the biggest surprise of the entire meet actually looking at this guy getting third place because if you look at his four results he had run four 1500s before uh going to usa's he ran 343 341 338 season's best at the sunset tour but he was only sixth in that race and then 341 just a week before usa's at the Stumptown twilight meet and i was talking to my you know, fellow Dartmouth alum Tim Gorman, who did make the final in the 1500 at USA's, and he was telling me, yeah, I blew by Thompson in this, you know, Stumptown meet uh, just a week before the meet, and then suddenly, Josh Thompson, he's closing, his close for the last lap it was the fastest of the entire race, it was 51.90, he was only in seventh at the bell, but he worked his way up to third by the finish, and that was running basically the entire final lap in lane two, so for him to close that quickly, he's got ridiculous wheels and the but he won't be going to worlds because he doesn't have the standard you talk about chasing the standards i mean none of that indicates he'd be able to hit the standard it's absolutely stunning he did what he did off of his previous body of work but hey the guy's a true athlete he's not that tall of a dude he can dunk a basketball go read the profile jonathan go did of him five foot nine can dunk a basketball very impressive not only that sometime meet john 341.9 but he was eighth place so you get eighth place in some meet that nobody's paying attention to you know really boost your confidence and then you get top three at usa's remarkable now let's talk about i think that's a good segue guys i really thought that bowerman track club guys had an exceptional meet and women i mean they, who had a bad race for them if you go through the events matthew centrowitz I mean, yes, he's the Olympic champion, but he ran well. He's on Team USA. He looks good. He seemed very confident. He's like, you give me two more months of health, I'm going to be in fit. And I think he could he could win another gold medal. I mean, nobody really freaks me out in, the, in, in this race anymore. Chariot doesn't scare you. He's just unbeatable in the Diamond League. The guys are getting a little bit closer to him. I think the Ingebrigtsen's may be burned out by then. I'm not saying he's the favorite, but... You know, if Chariot doesn't have someone to help him with the pace, we'll, we'll see. I mean, silver medal's not bad for Centro. Doesn't Chariot have a history of losing championship races? Isn't that the history of him last year? To Ma- only to Maningoy. is the only one who can beat him. And Maningoy is not even, he hasn't been running recently. He's been injured. But he's Mr. Silver, John. So, yeah, Centro's Mr. Gold. A guy who wins everything except the championship, that to me means he has problems in championship races. I don't care who he's losing to. That's his only weakness. 
So it gives you hope. That's f- fair point. Fair point. What, Robert, you asked who ran well, who ran poorly for the Bowman Track Club this week. I would say the one person I thought of immediately was Marielle Hall uh, in the ten thousand. And you got to give credit. I mean, she's still got fifth. She's still probably going to be on the team based on this NECAC provision, uh, which is a little unclear exactly what she needs to do if, if she's run fast enough, if they'll accept her onto the team or not. She probably will get on. You also have to give credit to the Hoka women in that race, uh, Callan Taylor, who was third, and Stephanie Bruce, who was fourth. But if I think of one person who I sort of figured to be a little higher up, she would be the one, probably. Yeah, but they crushed it. I mean, LeMong was amazing. Twice. Yeah, absolutely. LeMong was great. Um, Shelby Houlihan doubling up again. I guess Kate, Kate Grace would be another one you would say you would hope that she'd be in the top three, but it's not like she ran bad. I mean, she got beat by... Um, so Sinclair Johnson and Nikki Hiltz are both you know, in great shape and running really well. And then Courtney Frerichs and Colleen Quigley made the team again. I mean, in general, Woody Kincaid. Woody Kincaid coming out of nowhere to get third in the 5,000. That was really impressive, even though he didn't have the standard either. I think that's the one drawback, as you say. You know, they, they had three guys who finished in the top three at USAs but won't be going to Worlds in those events because they don't have the standard. One of them you sort of write off because it's Lopez Lemong in the 5K and he said he would only be doing the 10K anyway. But both Josh Thompson and Woody Kincaid finished in the top three and neither of them will be in Doha. And, and let's use this, let's talk about this a little bit more, the standards. First of all, I, I, as good as the meet was for the Barrowman Track Club, it, it, this may be, you know, I mean, Jerry Schumacher's guys need to race a little bit more often. They, they got to have, the, you need to have the standard of, you know, if you can't chase. And some of them didn't have the standard. Woody had the chance to go for that standard in that race. He didn't do it. You know, and I think he told you, John, hey, I didn't feel like I could get top three if I kept pushing the pace. Well, my response to that would be, who cares, dude, if you're top three, if you don't have the standard, because you're not going. So that's, you know, one issue. I, I do think, though, with young guys, maybe Jerry just says, like, hey, guys, focus on racing, getting top three. You know, next year with the world rankings, hopefully you can get in on that. Or, you know, but this also brings me up to the bigger point, And we've been talking about this all spring and summer, this world ranking system, IAAF selecting teams, this needs to stop. If the U.S. is going to send three, we need to send the top three at the trials. There's got to be a rule change. And I've I, I emailed these people that I think we can't just say the top three and have a special rule for the U.S. You've, there's there's got to be some way to write the rule that you can, could, you know. Well, they can because it's based on world rankings next year. Most of the, about half the Olympic spots supposed to come for world rankings. So hopefully USATF is going to honor that. But this is, was a real issue this year in a lot of events. I mean, even the men's 200, like there was only, I mean, Amir Webb, who's won the last two U.S. titles. He was fifth in the world's two years ago. He is a really good 800 meter runner. He's been, I mean, 200 meter runner. He's been injured. He gets third in the meet. They run into a headwind. He doesn't get the standard. He's not going. The winner of the one of the men's long jump. Do you know? I mean, it's crazy. You know, realize in the U.S. this year, there's 25 different men that have run the 200 meter standard. Amir Webb beats them all. Except for two guys. He's third and he's not going to go to worlds because of some stupid standard. This crap has got to stop. Yeah, I think we should discuss the world championship or the Olympic qualifying, I guess, which will change next year. The IWF would say, like, look, well, this is why we want to have a world ranking system. So it's not all about time. Amir Webb should go. But the major flaw with the IWF ranking system is it does not treat the U.S. championships as a higher quality meet. And you could argue in certain events, okay, well, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't know, the men's hammer, it's not that good. Fine, that's fair. So that's why the ranking system somehow needs to factor in who you beat. You know, if you beat like five guys who have the standard at a national championship, that should, that should mean something. 
And in certain events, you know, the U.S. championship should not be treated the same as the Albanian championships, which is how it is. All national championships are treated the same, if I'm not mistaken, which is a huge mistake. So you need to have levels of national championships, more particularly in certain events. It needs to factor in who's in that event. I mean, winning the race walk at the U.S. Right. isn't the equivalent of winning the 200 at the U.S. or winning the long jump. I mean, the U.S. champion in the long jump is not going to Worlds. And it's not just the U.S. Winning the 100 meters in the Kenyan championships isn't that hard, but winning the 5,000 there certainly is. Well, 5,000 is not really their best event. <laughs> Maybe I should right. have said the 800. So uh, overall, I think we're all sort of behind a ranking system or encouraging people to, act, to compete. I mean, all weekend I was so upset that Christian Taylor can just show up and blow off USAs. And I realize now my real beef is with USATF for allowing that to happen. It's with that rule. But we don't – the problem with the sport is – Nothing matters except the world championships right now. And if we can kind of create other meets that matter, that's important. So this ranking system is supposed to encourage competition between people. But there's still a few kinks that clearly need to be worked out. And they've done it with the marathon trials, top three go. So they need to sort of re-rank the working points. So hopefully top three of the track pretty much get to go. Well, I but I'm worried about that. That is my big worry heading into the Olympic trials next year is – USATF on the track has always picked their team based on the top three with the standard. And the standards are a lot harder next year in the Olympics, even than this year. And we had people missing the team because of the standard this year. So next year, if USATF goes with that policy where it's top three with the standard, and I have no reason to believe they're going to change that policy. They haven't, nothing I've heard suggests they're going away from that. I think it's really worrying because you look in the men's 1500, the standard next year for the Olympics is 335 flat. Zero Americans have run three thirty five sub three thirty five in the fifteen hundred this year. So that's just one event where it could have a huge impact on who's going on the team and who's not. So I, I really think they need to make sure USATF in particular use those world rankings. Go off the top three. Don't go off of who has the standard. Well, I think the Pan Am's lawsuit has shown that athletes ultimately have the power. <clears throat> the rules have to be written a certain way, but they're going to be paying more attention about what goes on. And I think athletes will want to go off a, more of a world ranking system than a standard system. If somebody runs a 340-34-8 this year and is injured next year running terrible, but just because they hit the standard year before they should go to the Olympics, no. Most athletes, USATF people who fans, everybody's going to want a system that sort of tries to make it to the top three go. And that's more of the ranking system. So I, I just feel like they're – you can't count on USATF to get this right. I mean, they've showed with the Pan Am games, they can screw stuff up. But I feel like they're going to try to write in something that forces them to get it right. Yeah, but it's just, I mean, there, there's so many like Americans, like let's take the men's 1500. Like to me, a, a big thing in the next month is if you're not on the team this year, you need to get into one of these like Diamond League meets right when, when they start up again. Because there's a couple Diamond League meets and, and, and I wrote this recently on the website. It doesn't look like the Kennings are going to be there because – the, the, the Kenyan trials is coming up. So if you're an American, like 1500 or, or 5,000 meter runner, you need, but this could come down to how powerful your agent is. You need to get in that diamond lead meet. You need to run fast and, and place, you know, seventh or eighth. Then you need to get the bonus points for that. That's really going to help you for your ranking for next year because you get a lot more points for running in a diamond, faring fast in a diamond league than you do in some like stump town twilight. Well, forget the ranking points. Just hit the standard. I mean, you can get the standard right now. The qualifying window open May 1st. If you can run 334.9 and you're like Eric Avila or someone like that or Henry Wynn who's run 335.1 this year, 
you get that standard and you're one of like two people going to the stand the trials next to you with the standard i mean they might just send you but they shouldn't send you and john this is we're getting into the same problem we had with the marathon trial the rules are sort of being are going to be changed after the fact we're in the qualifying window for the olympics correct john we started correct okay and we don't have we don't know how we're going to be picking the team this needs to be told now people need to be making their racing plans now so do they need to go out together sander or, or, or do they not need to really worry about that because most people in the u.s you know if you run 335 336 you're going to get it anyway on the world ranking we don't know that i thought usaf told you they were going to tell you how they were going to pick this team before before but is it they're going to make it before the marathon trial is that what they now is that the update john no they told they told me that they would tell us how they were picking the marathon team before the USA's this year, which they did. The start of last week, they said we have the gold standard. This is how it's gold label. This is how we're picking the team. They have not said anything about how they're picking the track team or when that announcement will come. But let me let me just say something. This isn't even hard. Like this is common sense. Like the Olympic trials, any idiot, anybody it doesn't need to be someone flying on a private plane making over a million dollars a year could figure this out. The the number one meet in America is the Olympic trials. Period. It's the most exciting meet. Everyone gears up for it. The entire track and field post-collegiate scene is focused on, on making the Olympics. That is the end-all and be-all. Get top three. That's the dream. And hopefully you go to the Olympics. So if they're going to if they're gonna honor the, stand, the time over top three, that's stupid. They should do whatever they can to go in order of finish. One, two, three. I know they're a little ambiguous about that because they're not sure if they're going to get in, how their ranking system is. Part of that has got to be the IAAF. they got to say, I mean... You know, you can just, it's not that hard to figure out who's going to get in based on the rankings. This has got to happen. If not, I will boycott the trials. Yeah, good luck. That new stadium is going to be awesome. Advertising plug. You can skid your tickets. Olympic trials tickets went on sale last week. Still available. Yeah, we do need to plug our advertisers. Yes, the Eugene Olympic trials are an advertiser. Robert, you cannot say anything negative about them. That was part of the condition of the advertising contract. That's a joke, right? Yeah, total joke. Speaking of past advertisers, they are an advertiser. Tracktown20.com. Yes, tra- tracktown20.com. You can get your Olympic trials tickets in the new stadium. I mean, if you ever thought about going to Eugene, you better go to those. If you consider yourself a Tracktown fan in America and you don't go to this Olympic trials or the Worlds in 2021, your card goes away. Your track fan card goes away. So, speaking of past sponsors, I was wearing the uh, Hoka Carbon Xs at the. Uh, you know, at the USA's, was, first guy I run into is a Nike executive. He's kind of staring at me, looking at the shoes, and the Nike athletes kind of looking at me. They were, they were, they were. Yeah, I, I've never had someone look at what I was wearing before. So, thank you, Hoka, for advertising in the past. We still love you. And voidsofleadville.com, certified CBD products, fifteen percent off. Robert still hasn't tried these. He's still stressed out. He needs to try Floyd's of Leadville.com. Use code RUN2019 to save 15% on your first order. They have creams. They got pills. They got tinctures, whatever you want. So Floyd's of Leadville.com. And the Let's Run.com shoe site. Oh, my God. We're killing it. I think we're over 1,500 reviews this month. These are badass shoe reviews. Let's Run.com slash shoes. Carry on. Okay, guys, instead of let's instead of talking about the trials and what's going to happen next year, which we don't know, we're just venting about our – assuming they're going to screw it up, which they probably will. Let's talk a little bit about some more of some of the events and, and 
really the women, we talked about the men's 1500. The women's 1500 was also a really big event for me. Again, because there was intrigue. I mean, Houlihan beating Simpson was not a surprise. But what was a surprise to me was how close that was. I mean, first of all, Houlihan only beat Simpson by 0.23 of a second. But Simpson was only 0.14 up on Nikki Hiltz, who got third. You know, actually the top five women were all within, you know, 0.64 of a second of each other. Very surprising to see Sinclair Johnson of Oklahoma State right there and Kate Grace. I mean, they, those women were much closer than I thought they would be together. I thought Houlihan would destroy it. I thought Simpson would have more of a gap on third. But uh, I was really wondering who was going to get third. It ended up being a tight battle between Hiltz, Johnson, and Grace. And Hiltz got third. And again, I was upset with myself because I didn't trust my instincts. She's been looking so good, winning everything. But when it came down to make the picks for the Let's Run.com Running Warehouse Prediction Contest, I thought, you know what? She's been running like 405. And 405 to 402 is, is a pretty big gap. I know Grace has run 402. Mm, so I went with Grace and I was wrong. Also, I did know that John picked Grace, so I figured it would hurt me if I picked Grace. So, you know, it was an interesting 345 there. And. You know, my question now is, Hiltz is going. It's probably the perfect scenario to me, actually. Sinclair runs great. Her PR is now 4.03, but she's probably not going to go pro. I want her to go back to the NCAAs and, you know, rock for Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State and Dave Smith. But here's Kate Grace. Is, you guys, do you think she's regretting the decision to run the 1,500? I mean, I know it's easy, like in hindsight, to say, oh, I should have run the 800, but particularly after what happened in the court case yesterday. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I... I think you can look at it. She still would have had to run 158.84. That's what Raven Rogers did to get third in the 800. And she would have had to do that after three rounds. I mean, she looked at herself and assessed it honestly. She knew the situation. She didn't know the Semenya situation with the information we have now. But she knew that she had a better chance at a medal in the 800. So I don't think she can have too many regrets. She ran a good race. She just lost to... But, you know, better people on the day. But I, I don't think if I'm Kate Grace, I'm kicking myself like I didn't run the right event because, you know, she gets fourth in the 800 and then what happens? We say, oh, she should have run the 15. So I don't think that's a problem. But one woman who this really helped out, that you mentioned the Semenya news and the news we got today is that the Swiss Federal Tribunal has announced that Semenya, while her appeal is ongoing, it, her appeal has not been decided yet, but while it's ongoing, she is now no longer to, able to compete. And that means that she can't compete in the Diamond League. She can't compete in the World Championship until this case is settled, which looks like it's going to be sometime in the fall or winter. So that really helps Sierra Brown, who was not even in the the 800 final at USA's, but she made the semifinals. She was the only other woman, apart from the three women who made the team, uh, with the standard in the semifinals. And so now if RJ Wilson wins the Diamond League final, which she will be the heavy favorite to do, Sierra Brown gets to go to Worlds. She gets two more months to get healthy. She had this foot injury. So that's really great news for Sierra Brown with this uh, Semenya announcement today. Well, it's great for her personally. I mean, her making a World Championship team is, is obviously a, a dream come true, and she's improved so much. It's a great story. But in the grand scheme of things for Team USA, I mean, she's been injured. Like she's probably going to get eliminated pretty quickly over there. I guess she has two months to get in shape, but she almost made the final. I mean, she made the she missed out on the final because of a mental mistake. So I think if you give her two months, I mean, she was going into this meet off of like no running for a week or two. Back to Kate Grace, John. I mean, you said she had to run one fifty eight point eight four to make the team, which is the time she's only beaten twice in her life: one fifty eight seventy nine Olympic semifinals, and then one fifty eight twenty eight at in, in the uh, 
Diamond League final in 2016. So given the fact that she's been training for the 1500, she probably wouldn't have done that. Been really close for third, I think. But fourth place would have gotten her onto the team. I mean, I guess in hindsight, we didn't know that she right. probably thought, well, Semenya is going to run the Diamond League final and that's not going to help. So, and also, you know, it's just, it's a tough call. It's a tough call for her next year moving forward. I, I think that really the next, to me, six weeks for, um, Kate Grace are, are important. She needs to get in some of these Diamond League meets. It, come on, Jerry, let her race at least twice. And if she can't get under four minutes, I would strongly consider going back to the 800 because, you know, well, I guess third is she's got Hilt. Let's see how to, you know, but you've got all these young talent. You've got Hilt. You've got Sinclair Johnson for next year in the 1500. I mean, I guess you could think maybe Simpson's getting a little bit older, but, you know, if you're not a sub four minute, sub four person, maybe you should go back to the 800. I think this year is interesting in terms of racing because if you didn't make worlds, you got no excuses not to race. I guess in the past, people who, who, Made worlds, you know, maybe they don't want to race that much, and then after worlds are kind of tired, and so they don't run the last diamond leagues. But you know, yeah, Kate Gray, see where you're at. But nothing indicates to me she's a medal chance at 1500, or she'll ever be. I mean, maybe was she finally going to get better at the 1500 next year? I guess that's a possibility. But the 800, I still think it's possible. She's getting, she's like 30, I think now, so maybe not. But I think Sierra Brown is the perfect situation. She's my, one of my biggest winners of this meet. Now, you guys may not see it this way, but I talked to her, and after the first round, and I was like, what's going on? She's like, I haven't run in five weeks. She ran a week before the meet, said she only did one 400 to one 200. She looked pretty good, wins her heat, makes it to round two. In round two, the semifinals, she looks pretty good to about 50 meters to go. Then she completely falls apart, sort of doesn't lean at the line and misses the final by like 200s. And you're just like, she was crushed. She walked through the mix zone, looked like almost in tears. And you're just like, well, I mean, probably wasn't going to make the team anyway off that, but you're always living the dream. And she was very good last year, right? 158. 158 low. Let's say almost 157. Uh And nowadays, with this DSD ruling, that's a medal chance. So she's kind of bummed out. And then you look at the finals. No one else who had the standard made the final. So she gets to, could go to Worlds if Ajay Wilson wins the Diamond League, which, oh, please win it. Because I'm really rooting for Sierra Brown. Now, I just think it's a cool story. She wasn't very good two years ago. Fabulous last year. Has this injury. Cross trains like a maniac, trying to live the dream. Doesn't make it. It's all bummed out. But if somehow she can get on that Worlds team, she's got two months to get in shape. And she's shown at 158, she, she could be a medal chance. And that's where I think the contrast with Kate Grace is such a big deal because I don't know. It's like, yeah, are you trying to make the world or are you trying to get a medal? And Kate's best chance for a medal this year would have been 15. I mean, been the eight. So pretty interesting. But Sierra Brown, my biggest winner of the week, who wasn't a winner. While we're talking about winners of the week, I, I, for some reason I'm scrolling down you know, the results page here on USATF, and I'm looking down the women's 1,500-meter list. There's a woman in the final with a world championship standard, and I swear to God I'd never heard of her name. And I'm like, who is this? I'm like, wait, maybe her name is Heather McLean. She was seventh place. She ran 405.27. And I'm like, wait, who is this? I'm like, how, how do I know this person is? So then I'm thinking, is it Heather Camp and she got married or something? This doesn't make any sense. And no, 23-year-old UMass Amherst product. And I mean... This is amazing. Her PR last year was 417, John. Starting of the year, it was 419. 
She went into last year a 419, 1500-meter runner. Now she's run 405? This is unreal. Yeah, no, it was it was a it was a good race. I mean, you look at the women, Nikki Hilton third PR'd 403, Sinclair Johnson 403, which is one of the fastest times ever by a collegian. Uh you know, Jessica Holland, who ran at pre-classic, she ran 402 at pre-classic, Jenny Simpson 359 at the 2009 pre-classic. Those are the only two collegians ever to go faster. Shannon Oseeker in sixth place, 404 PR. Heather McLean PR. Carissa Nelson was very impressed by how she ran. She she didn't even make the NCAA final because she'd been dealing with injuries. She comes out to Des Moines, runs 406 in the final to take eighth. That's a PR. That's a very fast time for a woman who just graduated. So Elise Cranny impressed me. I mean, she had a nice run in not just the 1500. She ran 406, but... In the 5K, she was 7th in 1525, a PR there. So that was a good weekend. So a lot of uh, young 1500 Americans doing well. Let's give a shout out to all, like, nine women in the final hit the standard. I mean, that's really incredible. You know, nine women in America would be faster than the Japanese national record by a long shot. What do we determine the Japanese women's 1500 meter record was? Yeah, speaking of Carissa Nelson, I mean, she's a great interview. And after the semis, she was like so pumped. Uh, she's like, oh my gosh, I didn't make the NCAA final. I mean, she's a former NCAA champion, but she's like, now I'm in the USATF final and I PR'd. I think 407 was a PR for her in the prelims. And then after the final, I was just, until you guys said this, I was like, oh, well, you know, she got a little excited ahead of herself. She got dusted. But no, she ran a PR in the final, so she can't be ha- unhappy. You know? And she ran 406, another second faster. So good run for her. And. Yet again, thank you, Brooks, for listening to me and signing her. Remember after NCAAs, guys, I said she would be a good person to sign. I thought she was a good interview, Weldon, obviously a talent. So I'm joking. I don't think they took my advice, but I did say that. I don't know if it was on the podcast or just privately to John. John, please vouch for me. This did happen. Yeah, yeah. Robert, no, Robert's uh, been on the Carissa Nelson bandwagon there. Uh, a couple other shout outs women's 800, a thing, Mo, high school junior. Got fifth in that race, two hundred one seventeen PR, and she's been racing a ton this year. She raced the Pan Am Juniors last weekend. She's going to go to Pan Am Seniors next weekend, and then she's also running this new Ryder Cup style dual meet between Europe and the USA in, in Belarus in September. She's signed up on that team, so she's been racing a ton. But I mean, she was utterly fearless in this race. You know, with about 200 to go, she was right up there. I'm like, oh my God, she's going to beat Raven Rogers again and make this team like she did indoors because she broke she broke Raven Rogers to win the, the 600 and almost break the world record indoors. So she ended up fading uh, at the end. But again, she's a high school junior. That was incredible. And then I got to give props. I, I was a little critical of Sammy Watson earlier this year, justifiably so, I believe, the 2018 NCAA champion from Texas A&M. She ran the best she's run all year at this meet. She made the final. She ran 201.70, season's best in the final. Uh, for someone who would just be finishing up their sophomore year of college, I think that's it's definitely she's it's definitely a good sign for her. I think when she's with Derek Thompson, who's coaching her now, and moved to Philadelphia and training with that group next year, I think we can expect better things. But it was good to see her get back on the right track after what's been a fairly rough 2019. Yeah. I've been very critical of her too. So I think people think I want to see her fail. No, I I just, I, I've seen too many people, once they start heading slower, they don't get faster. So it was good to see her a little bit resurgent there. And 201 is not that far off, you know, and hopefully Derek Thompson can get her, you know, even more in the mix. Because we, we don't, you know, next year, 
I want to have a final 800 with everyone in the final with a standard. It'd be really exciting. Although the standard is probably ridiculously fast, but you know, I want everyone in the final to have a chance to go into the Olympics if they're top three. Yeah, one fifty nine five is the Olympic standard, so we might not get eight women with that, but uh, certainly the top three just got it in this race: Wilson, Hannah Green, and Raven Rogers. Yeah, Hannah Green now the real deal, right? Totally. Second place, she beat Raven Rogers. She's going to Worlds. I mean, medal threat. She ran a PR of one fifty eight nineteen in the in the final. I would have to look up the world list, but I can't imagine there have been many. Uh, non-DSD athletes who have actually run that fast in 2019. I'll, I'll look it up right now. I, I've got it right here, John. I mean, she's number three in the world. You've got A.G. Wilson, 157.72. I mean, look at Semenya, 154.98. Nian Saba, strike her, but 157.72, 157.90 for Natalia Goal, who is incredibly inconsistent. So, and then you got Hannah Green at 158.19. Laura Muir's not even going to be running the event, most likely. Then Lindsay Sharp. I mean, she doesn't scare me. Then Raven Rogers. Then Catriona Bissett. I mean, the women's 800 is really quite weak compared. You know, it used to be like a, a really boring event. It's wide open for the taking. Like, we're back to where it, we forget, you know, 158, 157 used to be a really good time. And then it's become an afterthought in recent years. Right. Well, here's the thing. You say it's weak and it's like. Is it weak, or have we just been conditioned to expect 155 and 156 from the best women in the world? I say it's weak because, and it's only in the sense of like, you've got a 1500 meter runner sixth in the, in the world in that event. I think that's a little bit unusual in terms of Laura Muir. And if you take the other woman out, she'd be like third. And then you've got people like, I mean, I'm not saying Catriona Bissett of Australia. She's a great story, but she's kind of come out of nowhere and she's ninth. Again, she'd be up to like sixth. Probably our seventh if you take the other people out. It's just, yeah, it, it's a good point, John. I mean, I just think you look at the all time list and the top, anyone who's run 153 or 154, I think almost all of them were either dopers or DSD athletes. And, you know, we know RJ Wilson's won 155, so we know it's possible to do, but she was also towed along by the best pacer ever in Casta Semenya. You know, I don't think RJ Wilson's ever going to, I think I'd be surprised if she got. I would say within even a second of her American record, which is one fifty five sixty one, without Semenya to to pace off of again. Oh come on, John! What do you mean? Like you can't have a rabbit like in the men's race for four hundred and just keep going, run a quick time? I disagree with that one. Yeah, look at Nigel Amos. I mean, he he ran within a very very close time to his Olympic time without having David Rudisha. I think there's a difference between having a rabbit through four hundred and having someone to chase the entire the entire race and actually race them and try to beat them. I think that's a difference there. We can get Amanda Pacer. I mean, that's sort of interesting with the women's stuff, right? Like it might be interesting. If we had a race and we just said, all right, we're going to tow. We'll have a let's run.com event. People are going to be bored between worlds, right? So in September, we'll have it. We'll try to tow AJ Wilson to one fifty four. We need to have it like the next two weeks. What's going on for the next two weeks? Nothing, right? I mean, there's no, no meets for some reason. No, big meat, big meat, Pan Am Games. I mean, we're, we're the sponsors. I think we're official sponsor now of the Pan Am Games. I'm not sure about that. I'll have to double check. But Pan Am Games, Robert, all the people who you've never heard of. I wonder who's going now. I heard, I, I, I went, I went, Craig Ingalls kicked off the World Championship team. I heard he's not going to Pan Am's now. So I want to know actually, which of the people on the Pan Am teams aren't going to go now? If again, if one of the things I would have been with the USATF is like, if you tell me you're going, you're still going, even if you make the world team, unless they can replace them. You know, I don't think it's right to sign up for a U.S. team and then skip because you got another U.S. team to go to. 
Oh, totally agreed. If somebody in our lawsuit got to Worlds, which I don't think they did, and then refused to go to Pan Am, I would be embarrassed. But I think this time with only one week notice, I'm assuming everyone already had their plane tickets, they're going. All right. So guys, we talked a lot about the winners and the best races from USA. It's actually a quick shout out before we finish out that out. Fred Curley, 43-64 to take down Michael Norman. That was a great race. I don't think Curley was very mad that he hadn't got much respect in the media. And to that, I say Michael Norman ran 43-4 this year and 43-6 last year. I think he was quite clearly better than Fred Curley uh, until Fred Curley beat him on Sunday. Or, so I don't, I don't think... He was really, it was, oh, I beat him on Saturday. I don't think it was really unfair to disrespect Craig Fred Curley, but you have to remember Fred Curley is still a stud. And so for him to run 43-64, take down Michael Norman, Michael Norman said on Thursday he was considering not running the meet at all. He'd been dealing with some issue that he was a little vague about it. He didn't want to make excuses. I really respect Michael Norman. He, you know, he wasn't comfortable talking about it. He's just like, look, I lost, you know? So he didn't want to use it as an excuse, but... I think he wasn't. He was clearly not at 100. percent So, if he can get back to 100 percent by Worlds, I think that's great. But congrats to Fred Curley. Those are the winners. Let's talk about some of the losers from USA's guys who either disappointed you or it, event doesn't even have to be a person. It can just be something about the meet in general. Robert, what struck you as a, a loser from USA's? As he contemplates, John, I'll jump in. The city of Des Moines. City of Des Moines. Big loser this weekend. Just the attendance was poor. It was poor last year. And Des Moines is known for being a great track town. Well, no one came out for the U.S. Championships, which is a world championship year. And maybe criticize USATF and Max Siegel. But we need to start putting this thing in places where people will go. I remember they had the NCAAs one year in Boise, Idaho, and it was like packed. So maybe we try towns like that. I mean, you're sort of – the south is out. I think you have it in Austin, Texas. You'd have a big crowd, but it's too hot. So, but I don't know if the Home Depot, tr- uh, excuse me, well, we had a Home Depot track. That was going to be a big deal in LA. I don't know what happened to that thing. We have a new track at Mount Sac, but maybe we burn the bridges there. But I guess we could just have it in Eugene forever. But we need, it looks, it's embarrassing. We're like, oh, half the stadium was full. The minor league baseball team in Des Moines got it. What was it, John? 13,000 people for one game? Yeah. And I, I bet you USATFs didn't have 7,000 any day. But, but Weldon, here's the issue. Outside of Eugene, where is this meek in a drawer? Where are you going to have it and who's going to show up? I just don't see... I don't blame Des Moines. I blame the sport in general for not being popular. No, I I, I, I blame USATF in one level. You do, it needs to be a novelty act. When the circus shows up every third year, the kids run out and go to the circus. When it's there every year, they don't go. Now, admittedly, the circus has gone bankrupt because of the internet and stuff like that. So people aren't going to stuff in general because you can watch The Lion King on your freaking phone. So who needs to pay to go to the circus? But, you know, when you have it last year, 2018, who would go last year anyways? The pros weren't even running in the meet. So why would the fans go? You need novelty years. People support the Olympic year. You could have the Olympic trials in Boise and it would be huge. Maybe the world championships work in a, in a, in a town like Boise. Um, you know, I just think that by going back to the same cities over and over and over, it's not new, it's not novel. I think these smaller tier cities are the way to go versus trying, you know, maybe a Philadelphia or something. I mean, why wouldn't that work? You could have East Coast people showing up. Yeah, I've heard stuff about the track configuration at Franklin Field. I, I really, I do think if USATF really wanted to, they could just say, 
forget these regulations. Like we're going to have it at Franklin Field. It's going to be good. We'll make it work. I think someone should be able to solve that. But that's the complaints I hear. Is I don't want it in a stadium that big because it's going to look empty. I I I I prefer to have it in in like. It just looks better on TV to have 3,000 people packed than 7,000 people empty. Where are you going to have it, Robert? Give me some good options. Boise. Walden said Boise. Boise. I think we're running out of options. That's the problem. Track of the Madison Square Garden, dead. So we can get 3,000 to an indoor meet. But yeah, you don't want to have it in a stadium more than about 10,000 because it'll look bad. I'm pretty sure in Austin you'd get good crowds. If you just had the sprints, you could get 15,000, 20,000. There's got to be some other towns, but at the same time, okay, Max Siegel, like, you know, what's going on here? Like, nobody's there. Does it not matter just because we have the $5 million a year from Nike? And, you know, like, what's going on? What's new with the sport that he's doing? I I think he's still up for criticism. Um, The only thing different now is we have a title sponsor, Toyota USA's, and they now call it, like, you know, the Chocolate Milk 400. But... Like, that's just the sports world in general. Like, should we give the guy a high five and back slap? I don't know. I just feel like USATF leadership is failing, but maybe that's just too easy to criticize. We should reach out and try to get Max on the podcast. Just have a conversation with something. That's what I want to do in general, because I'm sure he's doing some things that are right and that he's positive about. But when you sort of cocoon yourself off and, and don't engage with fans and the media... I don't know. We're going to make up the narrative for you. So I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to reach out to Max King. And the other guy... Max Siegel. Max King. Yeah, steeplechaser as well. And ultra guy. Max Siegel, excuse me. Um, Christian Taylor. I'm going to reach out to Christian Taylor to get him on the podcast. I love Christian Taylor. He's my favorite triple jumper. Cool guy. Great guy. But I just... I guess I must lose it. You don't want to ask, answer my questions about why you didn't compete at USA's. But I think I can say, I wish you competed at USA's and we can have a cool conversation. And it doesn't mean I don't think or respect Christian Taylor. So, oh, I, it, it seemed to me that Weldon was obsessed with Christian Taylor, not bagging this event the last two times. It's been a world championship year. And those are the rules. I don't really have a big problem with it. One thing I'll say with the triple jump is it is a very taxing event. I don't think Wells appreciates how hard it is on your body. So, Well, if you're going to bash Christian Taylor, you have to bash uh, Corey Carter, who shows up and basically jogs the 200 and then is done. And Justin Gatlin didn't even run the final of the 100 meters. I mean, Christian, let's not act like Christian Taylor is the only guy here. But the thing I don't get is, like, is he doing it to prove a point? Because if I'm him and I got to fly out to freaking Des Moines, I might as well just jump because uh, there's just one round, right? It's not like two days, John. It's just one day, right? Right, right. So just jump. Yeah, it's taxing. But if he does it well on his first jump, he's only got to make one jump. And you win $8,000. Like, does he have that much money that $8,000 doesn't help? Like, hell, that's like... That That was my argument in Sacramento when he did this two years ago. It was like, you look, you're flying from Europe to Sacramento... He doesn't. Christian Taylor is so good that he could take two jumps and still finish in the top three, probably. So, I, yeah, it's kind of confusing to me. But again, he didn't ask. Well, he didn't really answer Weldon's question, so we don't have a great response from him. Well, it's good. These people aren't used to being asked real questions. They're not used to being criticized. There's really no media except for let's run. I don't want to be bragging. I'm not saying that as a sign of like we're amazing or anything. It's just like what's left in the media, and it's actually good because we have monopoly. Anytime you have monopoly, you make profits and. Or, you know, et cetera. But, you know, one thing about the media thing I thought was good, John, we had this Christian Coleman, Noah Lyles thing that, I mean, you didn't start it. They were beefing at each other on Twitter. They made up 
That seemed to be good. I feel like the media helping, hyping on that made them realize, hey, let's take the high road. They kissed and made up. Well, they didn't kiss, but they shook hands. Uh, I don't know if I would call it making up. It looked like an NFL, a token NFL coach handshake after the end of a game. You know, it was very brief. It was, I, I think it was good. Coleman reached out his hand. Lyles took it after Lyles beat him in the 200. I thought it was good. It was good, but I wouldn't say that best buddies but i do think they they obviously have some mutual respect for each other because they're both the best in the world in their event yes that's what's back sportsmanship is back i thought it was a great gesture they finished the 200 coleman taps lyles on the hip kind of while they're running they turn around shake hands uh, they can still have twitter feuds for all i care they can hate each other chalk up a rivalry that'll be great but in sports you got to have some sportsmanship and when you get beat you look the guy in the eye and shake his hand, or the woman. I'm not, you know, just using that word generically. Now, we've been talking about these other events. We, we talked a lot about the 400 hurdles on the women's side, the triple jump on the men. And that leads me to this diamond lane changes that are coming next year. They're trying to cut it down to a 90-minute TV window, which to me seems absurd. Oh, we got to make it fast-paced in the modern world. Well, my argument against that is what sporting event in the world lasts less than two hours on TV? I can't think of any. I really can't. Um, basketball games take two hours. Soccer games take two hours. You know, when you throw in halftime, et cetera. But it's like, okay, well, what events are we going to get out? And, and my theory is we don't get out events. We just don't, we, we have four a year instead of six. So you can do all the events because some years, or maybe just based it on, on what events are good. I mean, to me, the two most exciting events or two of the most exciting events in track and field are the women's 400 hurdles and the men's 400 hurdles. And if you ask like people like what events to ax, people might have been axing those at the beginning of the year. So those events are incredible because there's a lot of talent in those events. So you're suggesting we go to a rotating basis where you know you the event is in the Diamond League based on who's running well. Well, I, I'm not saying that has to be it. Well, I prefer prefer just to keep the two hours and keep the 5,000. I, I don't understand. I think, again, this is an example of an executive wants to say that they've done something to make the sport better when they're not necessarily making the sport better. They're just saying, you know, it's like if you've had a job and you're the person that hired you leaves, you probably should leave too because the new boss isn't tied to you. Anything you do at the company, they don't get credit for it because they didn't hire you. So, you know. Well, I, I don't view this necessarily. I think that IAAF has pitched it as a way to make the sport more exciting and that sort of thing. To me, it's a cost-cutting measure. They don't want to pay out prize money to the women's discus throw or events that aren't making money. And so they're just going to cut a few of the events that you could have these meets and probably get the same attendance. Attendance has been going down. You can probably get the same attendance without these events in the in the picture and you don't have to pay out all that prize money every meet. That's, to me, what this is. More than anything. Well, I think Robert's, it's sort of interesting because I think, yeah, do, do you totally cut the number of events or you just have less of the events? But like the 400 meter hurdles wouldn't probably been cut if you asked two years ago. And now it's one of the better events in track and field. Same thing with maybe like triple jump. Is a triple jump hot this year? I don't know. But that was one thing Christian Taylor's like, I think if, you know, the fans will see what we're doing, they'll want to keep it. And that's where he didn't want to answer my question. I'm like, well, hey, what about fans? Don't you think the fans would have seen you compete versus Will Clay at USA's? And, you know, he didn't want to answer that. But, you know, the long jump with Echeverry, is that how you say it? Juan Miguel Echevarria, yeah. That seemed to be really hot like a year ago. Maybe the world record wasn't going to go down. But, like, so, but I wonder if like the triple jump's out, then people quit triple jumping. And then how do you bring it back? Right. You know, so maybe now everyone's in agreement like the discus is out. And maybe the javelin. 
I don't know, but the shot put seems pretty popular in America. Like uh, as a distance fan, the shot, you know, it's got a nice mix of people internationally. So does the shot put stay in? But if you're just, is it going to be a permanent exclusion? And then, so if we did have the 400 meter hurdles, Two years ago, like, look what our sport would be. This is one of the, mo- the premier events this year. It's the 400-meter hurdles, men and women. Like, there's a lot of buzz around it. And it, if we'd instituted these changes two years ago, there might not be a 400-meter hurdle. So, like, we then bring back the event. So <laughs> maybe the solution is all the running events stay, and you just drop some of the field events, and, and then is it permanent like the hammer throw? Or, you, you know, instead of having six triple jumps, you could have four – triple jumps or you, know, you can have three triple jumps and three long jumps instead of dropping entirely. But it, some things to think about. Well, guys, while we're talking about the, how to make the sport popular, maybe we should just give up and say, it's not going to ever be popular except for the Olympics when everything, that's one of the things that makes the Olympics so great is it means so much. Like the sport is like no one pays attention that everyone pays attention to the Olympics and the drama is so big. Um, when, when you have all the stakes of the world on the line, then it means a lot. It's kind of popular. Actually, that reminds me of the women's 400 hurdles when um, the fourth placer, John, helped me out. Shamir Little. Shamir Little. Oh, she was so – when Muhammad sets a world record and she hugged her, I felt like Shamir Little – I've never seen someone that devastated. So – Shamir Little deserved the bonus from Muhammad for the world record because she went out hard. They were dead even the first 200. And you got to feel – I think Shamir Little might be the biggest loser from USATF if I think about it. I believe she's number four in the world right now. Well, I think calling her the biggest loser is unfair. I would say the most unlucky, I think, is more accurate. She's clearly more deserving to be on the team than a lot of the people who made it in terms of where she ranks globally. She's just in a loaded event. I don't mean lose. I just mean she lost the most. It's like you just have to feel for her. It's like she's fourth in the world. She ran a very good race, which would have been fourth in the world still, and there's no way for her to go to Worlds because... Even if one of them wins the Diamond League final, Corey Carter's already the world champion, so she can't go to Worlds. It's just like, man, life isn't fair. So fine. She's the winner of the Life Isn't Fair Award. Kids, keep your head up. Keep trying hard. Shamir Little, maybe she can break the world record. Well, that's USATF's fault, though, because you say there's no way for her to go to Worlds. There is a way for her to go to Worlds. If an American wins the Diamond League final, USATF could choose to pick her, but they're choosing to take Corey Carter, who's the reigning world champion, and his eyes haven't been running well. Yes, and again, that's a mistake by USATF. Like, why do we care what someone did two years ago? We should care what type of form they're in this year. And, you know, this is a unique year with, with the Worlds after the Diamond League final, but... Obviously, I would send the most fit person, and it doesn't appear to be Corey Carter. Corey Carter, you know, really hasn't been racing that well, so we'll see. Who, whose mom used to coach Delilah Muhammad back in the day? Lashinda Demas's mom. Anyways, just was bothering me. I couldn't think of that. But while we're talking about making the sport popular, guys, I'm going to bring in some audio of the week, and maybe we should just give up on making the sport popular again, you know, except for the Olympics. This is from a podcast I've been listening to. Clay Travis, who is on Fox Sports, he has a new podcast called Wins and Losses. And he interviews, he's been interviewing like prominent, a lot of media people, talking about how they got, he takes and interviews them for like two hours. Like, how did you get started in journalism? How did you take your career? What was your first job? How much were you paid? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This, a few weeks ago, he was talking to Dan Wetzel, who's a Yahoo Sports national columnist. 
Great writer. Really love Dan Wetzel's writing. Oh, well, good. Well, John's going to learn a lot from this. And, John, we're setting you up for a future star in, in journalism. So just listen to this podcast. We're going to start with when Clay Travis asked Dan. Uh, Dan started journalism. He showed up at UMass, Amherst, or UMass, I think. Are those the same thing, John? UMass, Amherst? Yes. Um, and he said, you know, I didn't know what to do, so I just went down to the paper and signed up one day. And Clay asked him what was his first article. So do you remember the first story you ever wrote at UMass? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought my first beat was the women's uh, cross-country team. Yeah. Uh, brutal, okay? So you go, if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, you would know, and you probably never thought of writing a story about it, but they shoot a gun, and, and the, the, the women run into the woods, and then they come back like 20 minutes later, and they, they finish. And, and <laughs> That's, that's a cross-country meet, okay? So you don't so, see any of the race like, at all? You're just standing there nothing, at the... No. Yeah. Nothing. So you go, well, what happened? Well, you know, and then it's like, you get their times and you try to spell their names right. I mean, I mean, like my story, we're just trying to do whatever. But, you know, and then the... Well, I, I tried to run as fast as I could. I mean, what strategy? I mean, there is strategy, <laughs> but... Like, you know, you, you finish second, you go, uh, here's my question. Did you consider going faster? Like, I don't know what, I no idea what to ask what, a women's cross country. People talk about, like, is it hard to write, like, a, a running gamer at the Super Bowl? Is it hard to cover the, the Olympics? No, no. Cover a, 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 a women's college cross country meet in the rain. Okay? That's hard. So, get, get the names right. Were you a good student? Oh, you said you country w- women were pretty good looking too. So yeah, that, I didn't have as that. a college kid, that I wasn't a bit. You had you had an yeah. excuse to talk to them, uh, which isn't an which isn't yeah, an awful yeah. problem. Uh, were you a good student? Than, yeah, so guys, that's how our sport is thought of by the professional journalist. What do you think of that, John? So much there to, to break down all at once, but um, he said, "Well, what's your big takeaway, John?" I think first of all. Um, if Dan wants to cover another cross-country meet, I'm happy to show him how you can actually run around the course and see the runners a few times. I, th- I think partly, you know, I-, I think he's oversimplifying a little bit. It is strategy. I mean, if you look at the women's NCAA championship, obviously that's a big, that's a much bigger race. A dual meet, I think it's hard to make a dual meet in cross-country interesting. But, you know, the NCAA's Danny Jones had a clear strategy. She sat on Wayne Kaladi. Wayne Kaladi had a strategy. There was drama. You could run around and see them. I think that's a fun event. To, to write about and to watch, but it was making me think about track and field. I mean, covering a meet like USA's, we try to cover basically everything that happens. We talk to some of the third and fourth places. It's just hard if to cover the entire meet. So much that stuff is happening during the entire meet. Like on the Sunday finals, I think I saw one final in person. It was the men's 800. And I was just in the mix zone the whole time. I didn't get to see the world record in person. There's a ton going on, and then you finish. There's like six finals. It's like, what do we choose to write about? We just sort of had a long, quick takes article. It can be difficult unless you have a very narrow focus or you're willing to miss stuff. And the thing is, I think a lot of these races, if we don't cover them, or these points, if we don't cover them, it's not going to get covered. So it's why I appreciate article. Robert, you wrote one about Johnny Gregoric and Ben Blankenship and tactics in the men's 1500 article. And that's something that, Generally, these not to say there aren't good, other good writers covering it, but that generally they're going to be focused on the world record or some of the sprints or maybe saying, you know, Lopez Lamont did the double. People aren't going to dig in to appreciate just how well Craig Engels ran in that race or what it took to beat Centrowitz or 
Grigorik's tactical mistakes, that sort of thing. So there's just a lot to cover and it can take a lot of time if you want to go into detail on some of this stuff. Well, when I listen to it, first of all, I want to change the about, I said I wanted to change, you know, you can change the little logo, what's it called? The motto for Let's Run, where your dreams become reality. I think there's a way for Weldon to change it on a daily basis. I've joked in my non-running friends that my job is to make a boring sport interesting. And I say that sort of with pride. I mean, in our sport is not that, you know, exciting unless you know a lot about it. That's one of the problems in sports. You have to sort of understand what you're seeing. So, you know, his joke on there about asking the second place finisher, did you consider running faster? I thought it was hilarious. Um, but he said, John, you heard it. Learning to make women's cross country interesting. Um, is a key skill as a journalist and has set him up for this Yahoo job. So, John, I hope you're not leaving us. And I also more importantly think, John, his jobs, his start was in the pre-Me Too movement. I hope you're not following this guy's lead and using this as an excuse to talk to beautiful women that you would not normally else have a chance to talk to. No, I, I'll talk to... I don't care what you look like. If you're running well and have an interesting story, I'll talk to you after the race. I think this ties into what Robert talked about earlier, how... Pretty much any event under 400, there's no strategy. I mean, there is, but you're trying to get to the line as fast as possible. Essentially, it's time trials, side-by-side time trials. So that's why the 8 and 15 are maybe a little bit more interesting. Some of the distance stuff, in reality, you know, if you're a guy who gets dropped, you're essentially time trialing then. So, you know, how much strategy is is there? And if the IWF people are still listening, I encourage them to watch, like, the Diamond League broadcast. Just sometimes how they're presented. I was watching one the other day, and my wife like she goes, "You find this interesting?" <laughs> it was just like it was just kind of like jumping from event to event, and there was no like overall lead up, you know, a big introduction. What's going to be on the broadcast today? They just sort of just drop one event, then go to the here and there. So, yeah, how can we make our sport interesting? That's what everyone needs to think about. Here's my take: is the people I watch a lot of sports. I watch football. I watch soccer. I watch basketball. I watch baseball sometimes at the playoffs. I watch pretty much anything if it's a good sport. And I would take a 1,500 or an 800-meter championship final up against pretty much anything in terms of excitement and drama and strategy. I think those two races are just incredibly exciting with how fast everyone's going, and they're all fighting for the same real estate. I really think if there was a way to just get those out, those races out to the masses, I don't know if there's some Twitter account that could do this or how to solve it, but like, I don't know any sports fan who would watch that and think, man, that was boring. I didn't enjoy that. It's not something, if you can just get them hooked on that one event and, you know, maybe find like Centrowitz or Engels, a guy that you really identify with. I'm not saying you need to be a fan of the whole sport of track and field, but those to me, I think the sport in, in those events is perfect. It's just a matter of getting it to the masses somehow. Once again, I know if people you are still listening, your ranking system does not reward tactical 800 or 1500 meter races it needs to factor that in somehow all right guys we've been dragging on a lot we've not had our alberto salazar segment of the week and i'm ready for it the 101500 meter double took a major blow this weekend lopez lamong probably the athlete of the week i mean shocking i'm shocked he won the 10,000 and then i'm even more shocked he won the 5,000 much less did them both but after he won the 10, Lopez, I mean, uh, man, I thought, I thought it was a fluke last year when he won. He says, yeah, I'm doing the 1500 and I'm doing the 5K. And we have joked before about Sifan Hassan doing the 10K 1500 double. Well, Lopez didn't start the 15. 
you know, the coach talked the best into him. But he came back and won the five, so it can't be too critical. But I have a new double proposal. The 10,800 double for Sifan Hassan. With the 10,500 doubles clearly dead, Alberto, if you're listening, come on, someone check the schedule. But that would be even more epic. We got we to go more extreme. Today's, you know, we're about the extremes. 800 and 10,000. I'm pretty sure she can medal them both. Well, I thought it was funny that Lopez, when he said he was going to run the 1500 on Thursday night after he won the 10K, I was like, could he be joking? He might not be serious about that. And then I talked to him after the 5,000 when he won on Sunday. He's like, oh, no, I was serious, man. I, I wanted to do it. Jerry just said no. He's like, ah, you've already run the fi- won the 1,500 at this meet. Like, why don't you run the 5K instead? And so he won that. But he legitimately wanted to start the 1,500 feet heats the day after he won the 10,000 title, which I just think is is awesome. Was he going to do the 5,000 as well? <laughs> I, th- I think... Dependent on whether he made the 1500 final, but I think if he didn't make the 1500 final, he would have done the 5K as well. Well, speaking of Roberto, I mean, the reason I hadn't brought him up was, does he even coach any Americans anymore? Was he even at the meet? Like, he probably sought this one out like I did. He had one guy in the whole meet, uh, which was Clayton Murphy in the fifteen in the 800 meters, finished second behind Donovan Brazier. I didn't see Alberto there, but I didn't see a lot of coaches, so I have no idea if he was at the meet or not. Well, that's not really fair because he's like the head of the NOP in name. It's kind of like me. If you guys had been arrested in Iowa or something like that, people would have probably blamed me. Y'all are part of my underlings. I want the response. Well, then, Robert just called you his underling. How do you respond to that accusation? I think it was true this week, and he stayed back in the headquarters. And I've now made it to the USATF meet combined. If you combine the last two years I made it, I made the <laughs> first two days this year and the last two days last year. If you combine that, I've been to the USATF meet. My apologies for having to skip out, John, on Saturday and Sunday. I'm sure, did anyone actually notice I wasn't there? A couple people asked, yeah. None of the athletes, but, uh, you know, some of the media people. Well, Robert, one guy who I assume was there, Pete Julian, who was Salazar's assistant at the Nike Oregon Project, he had a great meet for his athletes. Donovan Brazier wins the 800, and then Craig Engels comes back and takes down the Olympic champion to win the 1500. So, Really couldn't have gone much better for Pete Julian at USA's this weekend. Agreed. And speaking of coaches, there's a coach who's back at the USA Championships, Dennis Mitchell. Kenny Bignarek, who was the JUCO sensation this year, 200 and 400 as a freshman. This guy's amazing. Turned pro, now running for Nike. Um, decided to run the 200 here because he had a few sort of subpar races in Europe. Thought it was a long season. He had a crazy nationals. The first round of the 200, he thought he fall started, stopped running, then he sprinted, then he finished. Makes the final. The guy's run very fast. He's gone, you know, what's he run this year? It's crazy fast. 19.8, I believe. Um, makes the final and then sort of like pulls up lame 100 meters in, um, which sort of sucks for him. But then afterwards, people are like, hey, who's coaching? And he's like, Dennis Mitchell, you know, I'm training with Justin Gatlin too. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because last year it came out that... Well, okay, this was the end of 2017. An undercover reporter from the Telegraph in England tried to pretend he was an actor and wanted to get some performance-enhancing drugs for a movie role. And he was talking to Robert Wagner, who's an agent, and Dennis Mitchell. And Dennis Mitchell told him he could get HGH 
and I think another PED as well for him. And after that story came out at the end of 2017, Justin Gatlin, who had just won the world championships at age 35, dropped Dennis Mitchell and said, I'm, you know, no longer going to work with him. Well, he said he dropped him. But he said he dropped him and said he started working with Brooks Johnson. And then we get to the meet and Kenny Bagnarek says, yeah, yeah, I've been working out with Justin. And I made it, you know, sometimes people work out with other athletes that they aren't, you know, they don't have the same coach. It does happen. So I made very, made it a point to ask Kenny, is Justin also being coached by Dennis Mitchell? Kenny said, yes. I emailed Ronaldo Nehemiah, who is, Justin's agent asked him, is this true? Haven't gotten any response from him, but I think Justin Gatlin has some questions to answer. If Kenny Bidnerick says he's working out with him and that he's being coached by Dennis Mitchell and Justin Gatlin disavowed Dennis Mitchell two years ago, why is he still working out with him? Why is people staying? He's training with him. I think it's a very important question because Justin is still running very well at age 37. He has already served the doping ban. Dennis Mitchell served the doping ban in his career, this is not going to, there are going to be more questions after this revelation, certainly around J- Gatlin. I thought the whole Justin leaving Dennis at this point was kind of crazy because, well, one, with the way the sport was in the past, I don't know. I don't think you should be essentially banned for life. Maybe now going forward, you should be, but Dennis Mitchell should be a coach. My question more is like, just answer the questions, be upfront, write it about it, sort of, Take your medicine, and then we can get on. But if I'm a coach and I know something about drugs and some like actor comes and said he'll pay me a shitload of money to get him some HGH or talk, to, put him in connection with some doctor, and I can probably like, – I was just shocked. Like, it's some actor. Like, a lot of these older-timer guys are doing HGH for acting roles, I assume, or something. Like, I don't know. I was shocked that this is like the straw that broke the camel's back. I agree. Who cares that he knows where, where to get drugs? I would assume he knows how to get drugs. I mean, Albertus Alazar's got testosterone in his carry-on bag. I mean, I don't understand what the big deal is. I mean, imagine if you're a young person, though, getting just becoming a fan of the sport. I mean, who do you think's clean or who do you believe's clean? I mean, I'll tell you if you're a teenager, I do think you can reach the top being clean. Now, why? what evidence do I have for that? I don't know. I mean, I can see why you'd be doubtful of everything because – I mean, I was thinking earlier in the show, like even A.G. Wilson. John, do you think less of her because she had that Xeranol positive and, and supposedly it contaminated meat? Or do you think there's a chance she's doping? I, th- I think there's obviously, there's obviously a chance, and I think the chance is higher given the Xeranol positive she had in 2017. But gun to my head, I don't think she's doping. I, I do tend to believe her, but you've always got to have skepticism about anyone in this sport. But what is interesting to me as well is Kenny Bignarek essentially said, Nike funneled him to Dennis Mitchell. They, we asked him why he chose to work out with Mitchell given his reputation, and he's just like, "Well, I didn't have much of a choice. Nike kind of well, pushed me in that direction." But, but Nike's funneling all their top athletes to Alberto Salazar, and he's under or was under a USAD investigation. I mean, the whole sport. I, I personally, if you did drugs in the eighties, I don't really care. A lot of people are doing drugs in the eighties. Like, I don't think they should disqualify you for the rest of your life. I do think we should have a rule now. If you, if you test positive now, you're done. Forget about it, but I, I don't know. Like the the fall the the fall outrage of you know, 
I don't know. It seemed weird to me that he dumped him, supposedly. But now it shows us that he didn't really dump him. Or maybe he did for a short period of time, wanted to come back to him. Maybe he's on HGH. Maybe he's not. I don't know. Who knows? Yes, yeah, so let's run.com. We, we are forgiving our own moderator, George Malley, a.k.a. Malmo, admitted to using steroids back in the day when he was on Athletics West. Which was Alberto Salazar's club. But, uh, you know, George says he only used him for a couple weeks, and that was after he set the American record. So, you know, it, it's, it's a complicated pass in the 80s. You know, if you're an athlete in East Germany, he's got a state-sponsored thing. Like, I can see why he'd want to do it. Maybe we should get Uncle Phil on the podcast. That'll be another request. We're going to go big. Christian Taylor, Uncle Phil, and um, Max, Max Siegel. Siegel. Whatever, all three on next week. You guys are going to doubt me. I need to listen to read Shoe Dog. I heard that, that's that been recommended to, to me by a few guys. That's right. I'll plug Phil's book. Everybody go read Phil Knight's book, Shoe Dog. I'm sure he needs the money. Yeah, the, and the week after that, we'll have Jimmy Hoffer and El- Elvis Presley as our guests. So uh, stay tuned for that. I'm going to go big here. But my question... And Robert has an article how Nike sponsors, you know, the vast majority of the top three. The whole entire men's 100-meter final with all Nike athletes. But Nike is the biggest company, but they put more money into running than anybody else. But it has a special place. But my question for Phil would be, what sort of message are you guys doing? I've never heard any indication of anything behind the scenes that they go above and beyond for clean sport. You know, they sort of brush aside these things. And now they're funneling athletes to Dennis Mitchell, which is fine if Dennis is the best coach out there, but say, hey, we, have this, we don't tolerate any doping. We have an extra policies in place. Here's what we've done. But instead, it's just sort of secretly behind the scenes. Oh, we, we're not being coached by Dennis. Oh, by the way, we are now. And I think as a leader in anything, they have responsibilities. You know, they've been a big leader for sort of social change and supporting some of those issues. But what about clean sport? And I think, you know, Nike's up for a lot of criticism there. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think that they're a leader in, in that area. And it kind of reminds me of the women's sports thing that Nike's taking some backlash for the, the pregnancy policies, and, and they supposedly changed that. Um, which gets us to Allison Felix. I see in the document here, folks, she signed a new sponsorship deal this morning. John has here, guess who her new sponsor is? It's an apparel sponsor, right? It's, it's, she's going to have a different shoe sponsor, is my understanding. Uh, yes, but this is an apparel company. Now, I want to hear honest reaction. Have you guys ever heard of Athleta? I've heard of it. Yeah, I think my wife might get the catalog. Yeah, I've seen the catalog before. Oh, I guess I was the only one who has never heard of this company, but they are, a, I think they're a brand of Gap, and they are Alice and Felix's new apparel sponsor. Yeah, yeah, we get the catalog too here. I've seen this uh, logo. I was going to say it's got to have something to do with pregnancy. They're a yoga company, it looks like. Not not a, not a bad decision. Um, and, you know, I, I thought maybe Nike just might bow to the pressure because they've been getting some flack for the pregnancy stuff and give her a sponsorship. But them not going for her makes total sense for me. They don't get athletes on the downside of their career. doesn't matter. You know, Leo Manzano, congratulations. You won a silver medal. They realized he was never going to win, you know, do anything again on that level, and they were right. So they didn't pay him. Now, Leo got paid by Hoka, right? Well, Leo, I mean, he didn't win another Olympic medal. He did make the World Championship final in 2015. He won the U.S. title in 2014. It's not like he did nothing, but yeah, he's not. he didn't win another Olympic medal. The Allison Felix, the other thing, I've read a lot of people, maybe on Twitter on the message board, saying that, you know, Nike dropped her. It's like, well, 
They did, but they, they offered her a new contract at the start of 2018 and she turned it down. I mean, to to paint Nike as the bad guy in this whole thing, I think is just not telling the whole story. Like she was given a contract offer and she declined it and then she got pregnant. And I don't know how the whole timeline unfolded, but the fact of the matter is she didn't have a contract for the first like six months of of 2018. And, you know, she, she only had a baby in, in November. So... I I, th- I just think it's it's not fair to say that Nike is like totally just abandoned her. It's like they did try to give her a contract and she didn't agree to it. And yeah, I just think there's more than what is being t- the assumption that they've just totally abandoned her. Okay, let's talk about her, John. Do you think she gets too much publicity? She's sixth in the U.S. Do you think she deserves to be on the four by four team? I actually I like this comment. She's like, look, I, if I'm not helping, I, I'm not going to be on it. Um, but the 400 meter hurdlers. I mean, I. I how many people do we need on the relay pool? Do we have eight? I mean, here's the thing. There are two relays to cover this time, though. There's the mixed gender and there's the regular 4 by 4 I don't think, based on what she showed at this meet, she should she certainly shouldn't be running the final. Maybe you could put her in the prelims of the regular 4 by 4 But we've got two months to figure it out, right? Yeah. Look, if she's healthy and she thinks she's fit and she knows her body well, she's not going to know if she's fit by worlds she could run you could maybe stick her on the oh, maybe the mixed gender one it depends if mclaughlin and delilah muhammad and some of those women want to run it like if you get those two and then the top four from the 400 those would be the people who you run in the final of the two events but certainly i think she could help in the prelims if that's what she wanted and she's experienced she knows how to race i think take her on the team and see what her form is whether you want to use her in the final to me, you need to run the studs in the finals of everything, whether it's the mixed gender 4x4 and the regular 4x4. You know, we've got two months to go before Worlds. I mean, if you look at the facts, Muhammad and McLaughlin could clearly beat Allison Felix right now. Hell, I mean, Allison Felix ran 51.94. Dalila Muhammad ran 52.20 over hurdles. So almost the same time. Actually, Dalila Muhammad. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. She meet, She beat two women in the 400 final. 52.36 and 52.53 were 7th and 8th. And those people both have the world championship standard. That's how good her hurdle time is. So, um, and Ashley Spencer, who's run 5311, you know, um, ha- has obviously run fast and in the open four in the past. And what about Shamir Little? I mean, I would give her a consolation prize, you know, put her on one of these relays. Well, it's interesting how it works. I think from the thread on the message boards, people are saying, hey, you know, Allison, sorry, it's not your spot. It's, um, the Iowa's or Sydney's, but I think they're saying it's top six in the 400 and anyone in the, who is in an, another individual event. So under that criteria, Shamir Little wouldn't be eligible, but I wonder with the mixed relay, so they need to expand the relay pool a bit, right? You might need a few more people, but then there's maybe in limits on how many people you can en- enter. So I think wait a month, see how Allison's running, then go from there. Well, guys, I think we need to wrap this up, but I think Weldon wants to wrap it up with the message board thread of the week, which is something I wanted to talk about as well. One person we haven't talked about, one event we have not talked about, which was very popular on the message board this week. Weldon. I'm kind of shocked that the thread of the week is about a, I believe, a fifth place finisher at USA's. Drew M.F. Hunter just made Team USA for World Championships. That's the thread of the week. So that was the most popular thread? Is that what that means, Weldon? 
Yes. It did get super hot at some point and then stay up there. So, you know, maybe that's sort of reinforcing, but it's kind of crazy. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to lie here. I posted on that thread. I'm like, so we're supposed to be thrilled that he he's makes the team because he's fifth because a couple other guys aren't going to go. And, you know, he is 21. He's obviously talented. But this is a true story. First of all, I always like to hype up the Foot Locker champions, whether it's Grant Fisher. To me, the, the boys' Foot Locker champion is always – represents the potential future of U.S. distance running. So Grant, I mean, uh, Drew did win that a couple years ago, right? And, you know, so hype him up, whatever. I'm not really a big fan of people going pro early rather than develop their brand in college. But he's doing pretty well, I guess. I mean, he's better than Grant Fisher. Um, But this is a true story, guys. I, I didn't watch all the meat on Sunday. I, I, I tried to watch, come through like halfway through and, and watch the last hour to help you guys out and, re, and, and finish the recaps. I was at a pool party with my son and um, I didn't even bother to go back and like watch the men's 5,000 because I was like, well, well, doesn't, you know, nothing really shocking happened. Lamont winning is a shock, but anyways, I did scroll through though on the NBC Gold. I scrolled, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll watch the last lap. And I happened to scroll to the final 200 meters. And I was so unimpressed by the way Grant Grant Drew Hunter looked. I was like, he looks fat and slow to me. He was getting his doors just blown off. I couldn't believe it. This was a guy that I hype and and I just objectively like I literally I I just popped this page. I didn't know what I was watching. I think I, I don't even know if I was trying to even get to the five. I was just scrolling through NBC Gold. I went to this one spot, and I couldn't believe it. I thought I just thought that one of America's brightest hopes looks fat and slow. And I wouldn't, if it was a woman, yes, I wouldn't call him fat, but he's not fat. But John, in person, I guess you didn't watch the race in person, but. Drew, don't worry. People call Bob Kennedy, baby fat Bob. Fat, you're like body shaming the guy. I I don't know. I need to go back and rewatch the last 200. I'm shocked by Woody M.F. Kincaid. Like, what the hell? I turned that thing on. I was busy on Sunday as well. And I was like fast forward catching up and I turned it on and there were like the top three, Woody Kincaid and Lopez and um, who was the other guy? Paul Chalimo. Paul, oh, sorry, Paul. How quickly we forget. Paul Chalimo were cleared. I'm like, what's going on here? Where's everybody else? Like, this is a joke. And then they let the pace slow down. They caught back up. And I was like, Woody who? Like, what's he doing? I was just shocked. But then I was kind of shocked that the other guys didn't go with him. But then I went and looked and saw they went out. They went out sub pretty much 130, which is very fast. 58 seconds the first lap. So I don't really blame the other guys. They just know they can't go that pace. But then those guys still outkicked the guys who didn't go out at that pace. So I felt like three guys really were there, had the right mindset to go after it. And that sounds stupid. You may think, oh, it's not about mindset. You can't go out that fast. But those guys were aggressive from the start, and they were the three best guys at the end. And maybe they handled the heat better or whatever. But, like, they should have been the guys who were cooked at the end. And Chilimo's way better. But, like... And Lopez is obviously a stud, but Woody Kincaid, after going out and subs at 58, is like blowing away Drew Hunter at the end. I can kind of see what you're saying, Robert, but like the kid's still 21. Okay, okay. I just looked up the stats. Yeah, and first of all, running in the heat is totally different than running in, in cool conditions, but it's going to be hot in Doha. Oh, it's going to be a dry heat. But I mean, Hunter closed in 56 72 in a 13 29 race? Really? I mean, Lopez closed in 53. Woody Kincaid was 54. Woody Kincaid was more than two seconds faster. Woody Kincaid is not someone we're talking about. I mean, he's 26 years old, but 
Well, I, the saving grace for Drew Hunter is in two months he'll be in the world championships and Woody Kincaid will not. Will not. John, what about your Dartmouth alum here? Ben True, 13-33 with a 60-second last lap? Yeah, I mean, that's it's a missed opportunity for Ben, really. that He only needed to get fifth in this race. He needed to beat Drew Hunter. Now, Drew's a great a good runner, but if I told you you have to finish fifth place and beat out Drew Hunter to make Team USA, I think Ben would have taken that deal and he just didn't get it done. And I didn't talk to Ben. I don't know if he's had injury issues or anything, but that's really, if he's healthy, that's a team you got to make. It's uh, It's a missed opportunity. And I'm liking the new calendar. The great thing about this all is we have two more months of great track and field this year. We'll have like a month break, but I'm excited. We're going to have track and field in September and October. we got Premier League starting next week and kind of get going with that. Then I get to go to Doha. And I'm really looking forward to Worlds. You've got it all wrong, Weldon. We need track for the next month. Like We should be having Worlds at the end of August because for the next month, nothing is happening. Premier League's not back for like another 10 days. And then finally, the World Championship starts, but it's in the middle of the NFL and the soccer season. So I'm going to have to miss watching Patriots games and stuff to go cover the World Championships, which I'm happy to get, happy to do. But I just think it's the calendar. You should be having track when there are no other sports. Having it in August, it might get lost in the shuffle. Having it in you know in September, late September, October. All right, people, you just heard it right there. If you'd like to go to the World Championships instead of watching Patriots game, just email us at podcast at letsrun.com. Give us your bona fides, and you can take John's spot. I, I think with the time change, John, you're going to be all right. I don't think that the World Championships are going to interfere with your Patriots games. Oh, I think they are. I've looked at it. Oh, Patriots play at 1 p.m. The, that's like the evening in, in Doha when the meet's going on. It's fine. I will manage. Uh, but... I just think the calendar is not... Weldon's saying this is great. It's like, no, we have one month of nothing. Then we go back to the Diamond League, and then, you know, it's pretty spread out, but... I want to apologize to Drew Hunter like I did Sammy Watson earlier. I'm, I, I'm sorry that I just like to bash America's young talents. But literally, I, ha- I was I just... I, I, I was like, oh, wow. I didn't realize he did beat... Ben, he beat Lowey Lying at 13-5, guys, so... Come on, beat ba- La- calling Lawi a thirteen flat guy. Lawi got tenth and was a total non-factor in this race. Like he ran thirteen flat six years ago, Robert. And hopefully, John and I will be be at the worlds. We got to buy our tickets still. We're making sure hotels are coming through. We've never been to the Middle East. It'd be very interesting. Supposedly, the media hotel we're at is the only media hotel that serves beer. Oh, it is a different place. Yes, we're the only one. There's like eight hotels and. Power of the Beast said, you guys like to enjoy a pint after the thing? And I said, yes. And she said, you better stay at this hotel. I said, thank you. Oh, well done, um, well done. I, got my, uh, I did get my Qatari visa last week. So uh, I'm all set to enter the country once I actually and, get a flight and hotel. And book. Nikki Hiltz, I think this will be a very, this will get a lot of play. She's a lesbian and homosexuality is illegal in Qatar, unfortunately. And she just said, like, you know, I am... She, it'll be an interesting play, but how do, how does she deal with that? I think she had a very good attitude at USA. She's like, well, they're going to have security for me. They're going to look after me and I'm going to speak w- what I believe, which is great. And, you know, maybe subtly some change can come about like very subtly. They're just going to see like what, like, you know, just some of the humanity and gay people. And there's got to be, I don't know how many secretly gay people in Qatar that, have a voice if they even are allowed to hear this story. So that's kind of a cool story. I mean, I think it's cool because 
you can see eventually change is going to come. But you could, I guess if you're a pessimist, you say it's a terrible story. Yeah, Nikki had had a great attitude about it because I did ask her about that after the race and she just said she was going there to spread love and that her hope was that someone could see her, maybe a young a young woman in the stands who is gay and and think, hey, if, if Nikki can do this and come out and be proud and live her, you know, true best life, maybe I can too. And she was trying to hoping hopefully that she could inspire some people so yeah this this was the quote she said it will be interesting but maybe i'll catch an eye of someone in doha like a young girl it'll be like okay i can be out and proud too the world we live in is so black and white i think we live in our liberal bubbles of the u.s and we just forget there's so much hate out there but i'm just trying to spread love so good for you nikki yeah i think it's a really good message and good perspective because you know there's all this talk about hate in america there's hate everywhere in the world but like compared you know america's come a long way and even the last 10 years or 50 years for sure about on a lot of issues still work to be done in a lot of things but i mean doha and some of these other countries much of africa it's just a completely different environment well that's it guys been a great podcast shout out to fred curley i just looked it up guys he was only picked to win by 0.2 percent of the let's run.com nation and he pulled it off and the Running Warehouse polls, thank you, Running Warehouse, and Hoka, which gave away the Clifton 6 in the Running Warehouse contest. We'll have a recap soon with our winners. Jonathan, Robert, thank you. Until next week, Weldon Johnson signing off.